Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. I am Mike Maroney alongside Jay Woodson, McLean Boyd, and we are the Emerging Nine Golf Podcast. Gents, how are you guys? That's a question every week. I'm, I'm, I'm so good. I'm like, I'm going to come with something different. I'm so good. I'm pumped up. I'm just U.S. So Open. Good. Here we go. None of my none of my favorites won. It was Wyndham Clark. I mean, geez, I was. You think so good uh, is like a real big like switch from great? That was your change. Was so good. So good. Actually, all week. actually, we're, we were we were sitting here with my my two boys and my wife. They were playing freaking cards while I was chopping down trees in the backyard. But I came in and they were like, "Play Merchant on Golf Podcast," and and it was you, Mikey's opening the opening the the show, and you're like, "Hey, how you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm great, great." Like the super stupid generic, you know, response that I give every every week. Um, and I, you know, it is what it is. Sorry, guys, I'm not that entertaining when it comes to uh, when it comes to stuff like that. Like I, I can give you some insight on golf and. Uh, you know, swing analysis, bourbon. But, bourbon, but I'm not funny. I'm, it is what it is. I'm just not. <laughs> not funny. That's great. I just like, I'm you, just not funny. That's you, you expanded your offering this week to two words. Not, not said, really. What did I say? So really good. good. It's so, so good. good. So good. I'm doing so good. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, it's good. Good to be back. I, I've missed uh, a lot of the last few weeks, and finally, uh, this is my first Tennessee-based podcast coming from Franklin, Tennessee. Good to there. We go. Good to be. Uh, good to be back on the show. A little delay to the show because you forgot what time zone you were in. That caught me so far off guard. You guys are like, "Hey, I'm like, <laughs> like what? What? Yeah, You're like, normally the first oh, one logged in, and like, I was like, 20 minutes. Like, what's going? Where the hell's McLean? Yeah, coming live from the guest room. No. <laughs> No pool, no, you know, no backyard. Uh, we are we are official uh, in middle Tennessee now, far away from the coast. Love it. Love it. Love it. Good luck to you there. Uh, good luck with the move. I know it absolutely sucks. And I moved 10 minutes away and you moved 10, 15 hours away. Oh, it was, it was brutal. I mean, this morning started off taking stuff from the house to the storage unit and grabbing stuff from the storage unit that need to go to the house. It's such an awful scenario. <laughs> Ready to have it done with. I bet. I bet. Well, let's t- let's take your mind off of that. First, McLean, what are you drinking tonight? I'm on a nice little Cabernet tonight. Look at that. Back to the grapes. Got Unbelievable. Changing states. Back to the grapes. Back to the grapes, man. It's uh, good to be back. You know, they'd miss me as much as I've missed them. <laughs> Here we are. Wine sales have been low. They've definitely been low. When I left Charlotte, there were definitely some skews that stores suddenly find themselves overstocked in. <laughs> Jay Bird, what do you have? Uh, Weller Special Reserve. Oh, got a bottle of it, and it hadn't opened for I don't know. I've I've had it sitting there for a couple months. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna crack into this thing. So there we go. Very very good stuff. Yeah. Um, what am I drinking? It's been a long time since I poured it and then I poured it again. I still forget. Oh, Yellowstone. Oh yeah. Yellowstone. Good stuff. Very good stuff. You know, I, what what do you think about this? Yellowstone. Like I, I, I've only had it once or twice, but it's like, you know, which, which, which bottle does it? Oh, it's uh, just the the standard. This. Yeah. The standard. I I mean, I, I, a little overpriced. Yeah. 
I think it's a little overpriced. It's a good bourbon. I just think for the price, you could probably find better, but something better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they make a, they make a, they make a high end kind of Yellowstone. They make yeah. a couple of that were pretty good, but you just get the, the kind of off the shelf, off the shelf. Yeah. Run of the mill. Yeah. So, but let's, let's get into not, not a ton of grab ass today. Let's get into some fucking golf. No grab ass. Like let's I'm not grabbing anyone's golf. ass tonight. Let's nope. go. Let's get into golf. No grabbing ass. We had our third major, our national open, the U.S. Open this past week at Los Angeles Country Club. Wyndham Clark, just like everyone predicted, is your winner over Ricky Fowler, <laughs> Rory McIlroy. Just Scotty like everyone Scheffler. predicted. Boys, what did uh, I watched a shit ton of golf. A lot, a lot of golf. The, the primetime coverage is fantastic to watch golf. I was locked and loaded. Uh, what do you guys think? What What are your general consensus on Wyndham? We'll get into the. I want to. I do want to discuss the the open in general and the course and that kind of stuff later on. But uh, let's. We got to start with the with the winner. I mean, I think the guy went out and played some great golf, especially late in the fourth round. That up and down he made on seventeen. And one thing that I think goes overlooked by a lot of guys that may have never played at a high level, that two putt on eighteen was equally as impressive. I mean, that was not an easy first putt. And the fact that he was able to relieve the pressure, put it up there within tap-in distance, was incredible uh, to see him get up there and knock it that close and really make it more of a formality there at the end. Um, The guy has incredible ball speed. The course set up for a fade. He loves to just go ahead and let it peel, aim left, and just absolutely let it peel back. You know, he he gets up there and tips the scales at 190-mile-an-hour ball speed, one of the biggest hitters out there on tour. Um, You know, we saw him win at Quail Hollow. Uh, I guess a little bit over a month ago, right right about a month ago, uh, which is another big golf course that he won on. Um, he's an Oregon grad. He knows playing on the West Coast. My feelings that there had to be some familiarity there um, with the type of golf course that he was playing. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you know, he really got it done. And I, I also think that it's very interesting to see that him and Ricky had the same putter and come to find out basically he – got this putter because of Ricky. And then they both were putting with that same putter in the, uh, in the last group of the open. I mean, it was, it was a really kind of a cool, uh, a cool storyline there that I don't think a lot of guys maybe picked up on, but at the end of the day, the guy won the tournament. Um, he fended off a lot of great players. I mean, he had Rory right there on his heels the whole time. I, I would have been curious to see maybe what it would have looked like if Ricky hadn't faltered a little bit and it was more of a shootout inside that group. You know, he kind of got to go out there and not necessarily have some of the pressure relieved. I don't want to say that, but it wasn't applied as um, as much in his face because Rory was in the group in front of him. Um, one thing to say, you know, you, you are watching the guy in front of you, you know, get it done and, and really contend with exactly what you're doing. But he avoided a lot of major mistakes. Um and he got up and down when he needed to. I mean, he had that one falter earlier in the round. Other than that, he really did a great job. I mean, like, like I said, that chip on 17 was unbelievable, um, especially in the moment of what he did. So congrats to Wyndham. I'm, I'm happy to see him um, break through again. He's won $7.6 million in the past 30 days. And prior <laughs> to that, he had won $2.6 million. So this was obviously a massive boost to him, and this could be – the trampoline that allows him to become one of the top players on the tour. Yeah. I mean, it was, 
Ever quick to, if, if the, for the for the putter story, just real fast. If if you weren't aware and, and didn't hear Wyndham, I think he told the story after Saturday's round that he knows Ricky because he started his career at Oklahoma State, and Ricky's been a proud alum and really supports that program. Goes back and talks to the guys, has him at this at his house in Florida, and so he's known Ricky for a while and has been kind of a mentor to him. And he was playing with Ricky down at Medalist in Jupiter. And I guess Ricky made everything this past. I don't. It was it was fairly recent. And then after the round, they you know they were still messing around practicing there on the putting green. And Wyndham grabbed his putter and was like, "Man, this feels really good." So he said he texted the Odyssey rep and was like, "Hey, can you guys send me Ricky's putter?" And they're like, "Okay, well, yeah, sure. What specs do you want?" He goes, "I I want it exactly like Ricky has it." <laughs> and then even made a joke like he heard that Ricky cut it down a little bit and changed the grip, so he cut it down and changed the grip, so it matched Ricky. <laughs> and so cool little story there with the putter. Now I happen to see it today. Uh, somebody posted it's anyone who has that putter, it's going for like eight hundred dollars on eBay right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's such in demand people want to buy it you know what's funny about that like watching him putt with it it looks it doesn't look like it's fit for him no it doesn't it looks really flat and he looks really far away from the the ball um but obviously it's, it works i mean you know that's that's what's funny about you know putting it's like you find something that works and you're comfortable with it and you can make a good stroke and you hit your line yeah, go for it whatever you know you know, you don't have to fit this, you know, perfect mold, but yeah, I mean, the putter, it, it, it's certainly when I'm watching him putt, I'm like, wow, he's really, the, the, his hands are really low. The putter looks really flat. It looks way far away from his eye line, but it works. It works. You know, you know, don't, I'm not going to complain. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, criticize. Yeah. yeah. It works. It, it, that was, that's kind of a unique, uh, unique story. That's funny. Well, I think so, I think you were dead on with that up and down, but I, I think my general consensus was just watching him the first few holes. I was like, he looks good. Like he didn't look like there was any nerves. He was swinging aggressive. He was flushing it. He was hitting great shots, and I'm like, I think he's ready for this moment. And yeah, he faltered a little bit, but then his short game saved him. I mean, you talked about the up and down on 17, which was huge. I go back to a, a four-hole stretch in the middle of the round, eight, nine, and then 11. So eight, the gettable par five. Everyone's making birdie there, except for Rory. Three putted. We'll get that in a minute, too. But he hits a great iron shot, pulls it just a little bit, takes one hop, and goes down the Barranca. Side note, I'm a big fan of the word Barranca. I want to just start putting them in the foundry just so we can say it. I'm going to make stuff up. I'm just going to like just start calling areas Barranca. Give me the definition of that word. Now. Something really cool on a golf course to say, but not so cool to hit into. Okay. That's my, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my personal definition of a Barranca. Sounds like an actor from the 90s. I also miss, typically in California, you get Kikuya grass, which we didn't yeah. get this week, which I felt a little, I mean, you had Kikuya in a Barranca. I'm all in. Give it, give it to me. I mean, I'm, all, I'm all about it. The, the odds I'll just dive right into the Barranca. What's that, McLean? The odds of you spelling both those words correctly. I can give you Barranca. Barranca is easy. B-A-R-R-A-N-C-A. Kakuya, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that one. 
Hmm. Okay. I wouldn't have but been able anyways, to spell even so I'm actually, I'm actually watching the replay currently, and he's hitting out of the Branca on eight. And basically, he whiffs the ball. So now you're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? This guy's getting ready to make doubles. He's going to take an unplayable. He then hits it over the green. Now you're like, uh-oh, we're staring double right in the face. And he hits a great pitch to basically kick in for a bogey. And you're like, okay, well, that could have been way worse for what happened down there short of the green. Then he goes to nine, and he's basically holding the steel on his wedge, hitting that short-sided pitch unreal on chip. nine. That was an unreal chip. Unreal chip that made Azinger look like an idiot because Azinger's like, oh, well, that slope's not going to bring it down. He can't get it within 10 feet. Well, it's just going to stay up there. It's not going to come down. And it rolls to like five feet. Then makes a nice ticklish slider for the safe par there. And then 11, the long downhill par three, he hits it, what, 30, 40 yards over the green and just hits hits just a nippy little pitch shot, which as the mayor of Nip City, I freaking loved it. It was an awesome pitch and safe par again. And to me, that was kind of weird, like, oh, man, the, the wheels really could have fell off there, and he could have easily bogeyed three or four holes in a row. and. Ben, you know, okay, see ya. Thanks for coming, Wyndham. You you were valiant effort for for almost the whole thing, but we're gonna let the the big boys take over here, and and he did it. And so to me, that's kind of where. And then then he hits the fucking three wood of the century or five wood of the century, whatever that was on fourteen, up that gut, right after Rory makes a mess of that hole, and you're like, oh damn, this this guy's for real. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I'm with I I think the the chip where it came down the hill was just world class. Um that was one thing that was cool about the course, not trying to get into the course, but seeing guys utilize the slopes, that was that was super entertaining. Um no, what he did hitting that five wood in between there, and you and you knew he kind of liked it. You know, he went down to basically one knee. He's like, you know, please, you know, be the right club today, kind of situation. Yeah. Um but he did hit some amazing shots down the stretch. And one of the coolest stats that I saw that, you know, I think that's where you really separate yourself at a U.S. Open. So he avoided the double bogey all week, did mm-hmm. not make one double bogey. And that is so difficult to do at a U.S. Open, even for guys that have won historically. It's very, very difficult to not make a double at a U.S. Open. And he was able to avoid the big number all week, the double circle. He avoided it all week. Mm-hmm. And got it done or the double square um he avoided it all week and i think that's one of the biggest things that you can attribute to you know him winning yeah i mean he, uh, you you guys nailed it i i i, I kind of looked at uh windham coming into this you know this is a guy who's riding high won a couple weeks ago first professional win what was what three weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Was it two, two or three? It was like weeks a month, month and a half ago. So, or so. Oh, ago. was it? Okay. So, his first professional win. Um, and again, he had some trials and tribulations going to Oklahoma State, then going to Oregon, but was the Pac 12 player of the year. So, the, the guy can play. I mean, so it's just a matter of time before, uh, you know, these guys, I say these guys, but these young guys kind of they they figure it out. They they get to a point where like you know what hey I can do this, and I hit it further than everyone on the planet 
I mean, he's hitting an iron 280, 290 yards. Um, at some point, you know, you're like, and I think it just took him to, it just took the moment of him one winning, you know, a big time event. Was it the, he won the Wells Fargo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a big time event, you know, you know, some big time players have won this event in the past and it's like, okay, I, I can, I can do this. And then you're in the mix, you're playing in the U S open, you're paired with some of these top tier players and you see yourself compete against them. And you're like, Oh, I'm playing with Ricky Fowler. Uh, oh, I'm playing with Rory. You're like, you know what? You know they're they're great players, but I, I, I'm I can do the same stuff that they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, you know, it's it's so funny when you see a player that kind of, you know, that 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 gets over that hump, and it's just it's so funny. It, it kind of it, it throws people for a loop because they're like, oh, why is this guy winning? You know, I've never heard of this guy. Like he shouldn't win. And I'm like, this guy's incredibly talented and everyone has to start somewhere. I mean, Rory won, you know, his first, first professional event at some point, won his first major at some point, uh, it, 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 you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is Wyndham Clark's time. It's like, maybe this is the, the, the setting that he's like, you know what? Hey guys, I'm here. Like I can, I can play now. I haven't won a professional event and you know, since I've been, been uh, a member of the PGA tour, but I've won the pac 12. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I'm a, I'm an incredible player. Um, you know, the stats kind of, you know, you know, showcase that it's just a matter of him getting it done at the right time. And he's obviously doing it. So, you know, it, it's, I think that there was a lot of storylines. Rory went in his first major since 2014, Ricky Fowler winning his first major, Coming back, I, I, part of me was like, "There's no way that Ricky can do this. It's just too much." You know, it's it's such a big week for him. He got off to an incredible start, um, and if he were to pull, if he if he had pulled this off, it would have been one of the most epic stories of all time for a guy who's never won a major and and been down in the dumps for the last four years. Um, for him to come back and get into the limelight and then win. I was like, man, it's just, it's just too much. It's too much for this guy. I wanted him to do it, but I think it was too much, but um, needless to say, like Wyndham Clark, this guy, he's good. I mean, he's so good. And like the, like the announcers have said all week. And if you go back and look through the history of the U S open, I mean, I'd say three quarters to more, more than that uh, of the, of the players who have won the U S open, they they're faders of the golf ball. And I mean, this guy, he fades the golf ball. He keeps the ball in play. The ball sits softly for him. And and granted, I know this was the fairways were wider than they normally are, but they were firm. So he had control of his golf ball, which is what you need at the U.S. Open. I, and, I, you know, I know we're going to get into this about the the length and the width of the fairways and um, the setup of, the, of, of this of this tournament. But, you know, back to Wyndham, he played the golf course uh, to a tee and his game you know, fit it, um, you know, perfectly. And he was the winner. And you look at the country, you look at a guy, Rory McElroy, who equally as long, I mean, I, I would say they're probably, I don't, I don't know the stats. I mean, you guys could probably pull it up, but they both hit it pretty close to the same distance. Um, I don't, you could argue that Wyndham may hit it a little further than Rory. Um, but both of these guys smash it off the tee. Um, and one guy hits a draw predominantly and one guy hits a fade and who came out on top. Yeah. I find it interesting too. So one of the things you look at with 
with Wyndham this year while he's he's playing so well. And he's been playing well all year and gets the win at Wells Fargo, keeps playing well, gets his first win. Is His iron play has gotten a lot better. And we've talked about ball striking, iron play. And that's what's caused him to kind of have this kind of quick ascension um, this year. He's also gotten rid of his swing coach, which I find interesting. And he's gotten and hired a uh, mental coach. I forget her name. She works with Phil. She works with a handful of Max Homa. She works with a handful of, um, and he had a pretty cool anecdote of uh, on the driving range yesterday before the round with her, with his um, mental coach. And she said, hey, they're all going to be rooting for Ricky today. But he go, she goes, every time you hear someone root for Ricky, just go back to your goals and get cocky. And he talked about that play yeah. cocky, play confident. And he's like, play I did a hundred. He goes, I did it a hundred times today. I heard them rooting for Ricky. He goes, hell, I'd be rooting for Ricky too. He's like, but I just got cocky, got back to my goals. And he played it. You could tell the way he was swinging was confident and cocky. And he flushed it and he was confident in that fade. And he had a couple of big sweeping ones on purpose. And you're like, what the hell is he doing? And sure enough, he, he knew what the hell he was doing. And it's you could hear his you could hear his caddy even say a couple of times throughout the tournament, hey, be an athlete, be an athlete. Yeah. Because he's not caught up in the swing mechanics. And he's like, I know what I know my swing well enough. I'm gonna play this fade. I know what to do. I'm just gonna swing aggressive and let's go. I, I love I love that. I mean, I, I love that he committed to it and and he was in in a in a good enough place where he and he's surrounding himself with the right people. Um, cause it's very easy to get on, on that stage. Um, uh, and you just think that you need, you're trying to get better. You're always trying to get better. You're working with people like, I, I need a swing coach. I need a mental coach. I need a trainer. I need this. I need that. And you're like, you know what? Hey, what I have is good enough. I just have to keep doing it really well. So it's really cool that he just stripped it down. Like, I don't need a swing coach. I know how to hit the ball. Um, and do I, maybe I need just a mental coach, which is what he, what he went with. And, and it's obviously paid off for him. Um, I don't, from a strategy standpoint, it obviously paid off this week. I don't love the not teeing it up on. I saw that. I, yeah. Uh, and, and I think the commentators were that, whether it was Faxon or, or Azinger, like, I think he's the only player in the field who is not teeing the ball up, um, you know, on a par three, or even when he's hitting an iron off of, of par four, I, I, it worked out. It did work out for him. But I will say, like, why, why even do that? Just give yourself a perfect lie every yeah. time. It's, well, it's just. So, like, uh, I'll say this when it comes to that. I don't tee it up with short irons on short par threes. I will with a longer iron, and I certainly will on a par four off of a tee. But the reason I don't, and especially when you think about the amount of golf balls that these guys hit. You hit way more iron shots off of the turf than you hit off of a tee. And you're able to estimate what the ball is going to do off of that lie because you have so many more reps doing that. I mean, Jay, I would ask you, how many irons off the tee do you hit on the driving range on a regular basis? My guess is it's a fraction comparatively with the irons that you hit off the ground. Uh, yeah, that's good. good point. But more than you think. I, I Actually, when I'm on the... When I'm on the range, and that little, little bit of this attributed to the the turf that I'm hitting off of, but I hit off of a tee a lot on the range because when I'm 
when I'm on the when I'm on the range, I have uh, an alignment stick down, and I have some other things, some other tools there to make sure that I'm hitting the ball or I'm setting up the same way every time. And putting the ball on the tee allows me to stay in the same place every time when I'm when I'm setting up to the ball. It's not to kind of trick myself into thinking am I hitting it well because I'm hitting off of a tee. It's really just to uh, enable enable me to hit off the same in the same exact position every single time. Um that's really that's really all it is. Um but you know it's a great point. You, you you're you're right. Like you hit you hit most of your irons off of the turf. Um and the only the only rebuttal that I have to that is like you can you can mimic that um and, and you can tee the ball up just at the point where it's sitting just up on the turf. Um but in a way that you know that you've got a perfect lie every single time. There's nothing that's going to affect that that strike or that interaction between ball, uh, ball turf contact. So, uh, I, you know, most of the time for a good player, and it sounds like he's got, you know, he's got things worked out and he hits down the ball really well and he's a great iron player. And it's probably 99 out of 100 times it's not going to affect him. But in my opinion, that one time, that you didn't tee it up and it's like, ah, man, I just, I had, the lie wasn't quite as good as I thought it was. And I didn't hit as good a shot as I could have because I didn't tee it up. That's just my opinion. I mean, I don't know. You look at the, the yeah. best players, the best players to ever play, you know, Bobby Jones, Ben Hogan, Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods. They all said, if you had, if you can tee it up, on, tee it up. On the, yeah, tee it up every time. So it worked out for him. I mean, I, I thought it was great that he did it because it became a, a thing on TV. They were all kind of talking about it, and it was it was kind of cool. He threw the ball down on. A, I think it was a. It was a. I think it was a par three. That super. What was I that think long? it was eleven. Eleven. He threw it down and didn't like it, and then just kind of scuffed it over to the yeah. other side of the tee box. And I'm like, "What is this guy doing?" I was like, "Come on, dude, you're trying to win a U.S. Open, tee it up!" Like, well, I also thought that was interesting too, because typically you see guys tee up on one side of the tee box for a given reason, depending upon their shot shape or the angle sure. they want. And he was just trying to find good grass. He didn't care about the he angle just or anything. To find just, good grass, yeah. <laughs> I, you would, know, hey, my only thought behind that, especially with a short iron. When you're playing at a U.S. Open with greens that are that firm and that fast, you're always going to generate just a touch more spin off the turf than you will off of a tee. So I would I, – and, again, I, I would – I wonder if that played into his math. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. Um I, it's funny though. We'll see. We'll see if he keeps doing that. Like if somebody, like if he, if he gets maybe like, uh, who's the dude from decade golf? Scott Fawcett. Um, Scott Fawcett. I'm wondering if he like gets a hold of him. Like, Hey man, I'm just telling you, you can do what you want to do. But the, the, if you go do the math, like percentages are telling you tee it up. I don't care if you tee it all the way down, just tee it, just up, tee it up. And you know that you have a perfect lie every single time. Um, I don't know. That's just, that's just, that's kind of a cool thing. I thought when I watched him, you know, hit those shots and the way he was, again, that was to, to the point that you made earlier, Mikey, where, where he was talking, and I heard the same thing, like play cocky. Like, this is the way that I play, you know? And there's something to be said for that, like that conviction, like, it's like, you know, when you give lessons, you know, you have a student that, that's, that is chipping on the side of the green and, you know, they're like, you know, the right play would be to take a, you know, say it's a bump and run shot and like you're, you know, a couple of paces off the green and they've got, you know, 
40, 40 paces to the pin. You're like, okay, you need to take a pitching wedge or a nine iron and eight iron and just, you know, hit a bump and run, get it on the green, let it roll out like a putt. Um, but the students, like I've never in, in competition, I've never hit the shot before. I don't know how to hit it. I don't even know how big of a swing to make, but I do know how to take my 56 and pitch it halfway between the edge of the green and the pin. And I do have a somewhat of an idea of how much it's going to release. So there's an argument to be said for mm-hmm. what are you comfortable with? Like hit the shot that you're comfortable with rather than hitting the shot that, you know, everyone tells you, you should play. And if, and again, for Wyndham, he's like, I know everyone tells me I should tee it up, but I'm more comfortable just throwing the ball down on the ground because it gives him comfort and gives him some confidence and, and knowing that like, I'm going to hit a good shot because this is what I normally do. So there's, there, there's that element. Yeah, I'd rather, um, I'd rather any student hit a shot that they're confident in, even if it's the wrong play, you can sure. correct that at the, at a later date, but I'd rather them do something that they're confident in versus do something they're not confident in. The overall average results are going to be better with the confident shot. Yep. Yep. I agree for the most part. Yeah. So let's, let's get into some of the chasers, some of the contenders. Uh, where do you want to start? Ricky, Rory, Let's go he Rory. Did. Let's go Rory. He finished second. One back. Uh, I'll give you my quick synopsis of what I what I thought of Rory. Um, I mean, all week he looked great. Obviously, when you come in second in a U.S. Open, you, you've played some damn good golf. Uh, it was it was borderline orgasmic watching him hit a driver this weekend. <laughs> I mean, it was a couple times I think it moved slightly when I, especially off the those those. Four drives he hit off number one this week. I think he it was like his shortest drive was 372 on that hole. What's his scoring average on number one? Uh, I don't know, but it had to have been low. Uh, I think he, he, he didn't on, make eagle, he didn't make an eagle. I think he just birded it every day, just yeah, like I think he birded it every day. birdies. And and so he he drove it unbelievably well, and it and it looked like he had kind of found that driver swing at the Memorial a couple of weeks ago. He hit the driver really well there and he looked free and balanced and man, it's fun watching him just that his rhythm with the driver is just so damn good. Oh, good. And then when it came to yesterday's round, great, great driver. He plays. <laughs> he does play a good driver. It's great. It's awesome. I guess. So, you got me off my off my train of thought now. But um, <laughs> when it came to his round yesterday, it was very reminiscent of St. Andrews last year. Yeah. And I think I think there was a report that he was even quoted. Someone overheard him talking to his agent or his manager after the round, and he goes, "Same story as as St. Andrews, or it was the same thing as St. Andrews." Now, granted, the two golf courses he lost. Played- Two, they'd also played completely different. Yeah. You know, everyone was going deep at St. Andrews where, you know, making a bunch of pars at, at a U.S. Open is never a bad thing. To me, when I see Rick, uh, sorry, not Ricky, when I see Rory do this, he has a tendency to almost get a little too conservative. He aims at the fat of the green, and then it seems like he even misses further away from the flag. And so he's hitting a lot of greens, but he's 40 feet away. And then when he does have a reasonable look, he just hasn't been making the putts. 
uh, hasn't quite been scoring the way he should. He three putted, essentially three putted from just off the green on eight, the par five made a par just can't, can't have that there. It's like one of the easiest holes on the golf course. You got to make a birdie there. Then he goes to 14, the other par five. And like we've seen his wedge game is not fantastic. And he plugs it in the face of the bunker gets a great break with the relief and incredible break. And then doesn't get up and down and makes bogey on a par five. And you're like, oof, just, just not good. And so I just don't think he hits it close enough for whatever reason. And then he's not the greatest putter in the world. And it doesn't take much to just, when you give yourself 20, 25, 40, 30 feet all day, you're just, sometimes you're just not going to make them, especially under that much pressure. You're you're just not going to make them. Statistics say you're not going to make a lot of those putts. And that's pretty much what it was. He didn't hit it close enough. You got to give yourself more 20 footers, not 40 footers. And to give yourself just a little bit more percentage to make those. Especially, especially when you have shorter, shorter clubs in, you know, and and again, I don't know. I don't know the stats. This is just, this is just uh, my, you know, uh, my take and uh, visual of watching. Like you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Like when he gets shorter irons, which is, you know, for him, you know, he's in the eight iron from one set. 75, you know, and I'm not even talking 175. I'm talking pitching wedge from 140. Like he hits it to 30 feet. Like it, yeah, when you get a wedge in your hand, you, you've you got it as, as high as he hits it and as much spin as he puts on it, you've got to hit it a little closer than that. It's, especially if you're not a great putter, you know, and he yep. he's not a great putter. Like, come on, dude. I mean, you, you've got such an advantage off the tee and with your longer clubs, like it's not even close. Like, you know, we can go back and look at the strokes gain tee to green or off the tee, but it's, it's, I mean, he's a top five guy strokes gain off the tee. And I'd say, you know, 200 plus approach to the green. He's one of the best. And he's just so far down the line when it comes to scoring clubs and, and putting, you know, it's just kind of a bummer Um, because you know, he could win. He could probably, he probably could have won three or four majors in the last 10 years. I know 2014 was the last major. So nine years. Um, he probably could have won, I'd say at least three to four majors had he been just a little bit better in those categories. Um, and this one included. Well, I mean, hell, just they- in the last, just in the last two years. Just in the last two years, you talk about a British Open and a U.S. Open. That's two, and now he's at six. And he, I'm sh- I'm sure if we go back through the archives here, he could have won two more in the last um, in the last eight years, and now he's at eight eight majors, and now he moves into the that that super upper echelon. Once he gets to eight majors, that's huge. I mean, you, now you're talking a top five, top six player ever, mm-hmm. ever. Uh, which I, I I I do think he is he is talented enough to do that, and just he just hasn't quite he hasn't quite done it. Um, so it's kind of a bummer. I think everybody wants him to do it, but again, we we've talked about it. He hasn't done it in nine years. So you know, hey, you're only as good as your last tournament, and your last tournament with that was a major win was nine years ago. So long you know, time. Well, I think one of, things, one of the things that I noticed, especially with him, and I understand the strategy, and Jay, I know you do too. You know, he tries to start it at the fat of the green and move the ball towards the hole. So if it doesn't move, you know, he's still putting. 
it mm-hmm. seemed like a lot of what I saw is he has a tough time really peeling that cut over there to those right flags. You know, double it, crosses himself a lot. He hits a little double pull. crosses himself a lot, and he ends up at that forty foot range because you know he's aiming out there on the fat of the green and trying to cut it over there, and it's a three yard draw. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yep. We all know he's he's one of the best flipper of the golf clubs of all times. I mean, the guy's mechanics are absolutely unreal good, um, but it does seem like he has a little bit of a harder time um, moving that ball left to right with the irons as and, and it's all right. Look, we're, we're really splitting hairs here. Talking about one of the best ball strikers out there that he has a hard time doing something, but at the end of the day, he doesn't pull that cut off as often as we think he should. And I think so that, stop trying to do it. I'm, I'm, right? with, I'm with you, but I understand, I yeah. understand the thought process. We all do. Am I aiming over here and trying to peel that cut over there to the flag? You know, if I miss it, I'm still in a good spot. I'm making par at worse. I'm going to two putt versus trying to take on, you know, a bunker right of the green and it not drawing. And now he's, he has a tough up and down and short sided. Well, I'm, well, I'm with you, Jay. I, just stop hitting it. You have the left, the left flags, it. the left flags are yours. The, the right flag started at the flag, turn it back to the center and be done with it. Don't try to hit it towards be- it. Don't try to hit a shot that you can't play. Just just play your game. I mean, look at like perfect examples like someone like Tom Lehman. Tom Lehman was like the ultimate overachiever, in my opinion. This guy should never have been number one player in the world ever, ever, ever. And I, I, I I'm and I'm not throwing shade on Tom Lehman, but the guy he hit a low draw and he just said, "Hey, this is my game. This is my shot. I'm going to do it." And he played it, and he just said, hey, pin's, pin's back right. I'm going to aim either at the pin or maybe even just a little right of the pin. I know that it's going to draw. Uh, another one, uh, Kenny Perry, another guy. Like, they just said, hey, this is my shot. I'm going to do it. I think Tiger Woods I think Tiger Woods got into a habit of trying to curve the ball too much, in my opinion. And if he had just started just hitting his what shot he was comfortable with, I think he would have won this it's going to sound crazy, and, uh, barring any, you know, injuries and all the other extracurricular activities that he had. He would have won 20 plus majors if he had just said, hey, this is my shot. I'm going to do it. I'm going to beat the shit out of all of you guys because he was so good everywhere else. And I think the one thing that caveat to that with, with Rory is he's not a great putter. Like if you're going to if you're going to play that game. You know, if you're going to play to the fat of the green, you've got to be a great lag putter and he's he's average and he's not a great short putter whereas tiger woods could get away with that he was a one of the best short putters of all time so he knew if i did hit it you know this is a hole that i didn't like it didn't match up with my you know my my view i'm going to hit it to you know 40 feet and i'm going to two putt and i'm going to go into the hole that i know that i can birdie rory doesn't have that he doesn't have that um not right now um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think, I, I think just hit your shot, you know, play your game, hit your shot. And if you, if you, if you do block a, 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 you know, block a ball right of the green and short, short side of yourself. Okay. That's not obviously what you want, but how many times are you going to do that? You know, he, he either hits the ball straight, he hits a, a perfect draw or he overdraws it. Rarely do you see him, you know, hit the ball to the right. Uh, with his irons, I mean, yeah. he, he uh, of course he does, but most sure. of the time, yeah. you're right, McLean. Like, how many times did I watch the shot tracer? And it was like, 
the ball, the pin is, you know, middle of the right side of the green. He's trying to hit a cut and he hits a little pull draw. I'm like, all right, now you're 60 feet away and you're trying to two putt or you've missed the green left and now you're chipping. Now you got like 80 yard or 80 yard chip shot. And I'm like, man, if you just aimed at the pin and played your shot, you know, who knows? But there's something to be said for that. I mean, again, we're, we're that, that that's deep into strategy, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I kind of like that. I think that uh, there's something to be said for that. Uh, and I think with Rory being being an average putter at best, but an, an elite ball striker, um, if I think if he would just accept the fact that like, hey, I'm not Tiger, I don't have to curve the ball. And I know that he's kind of like he's kind of like Tiger's like little 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 brother in a sense. And, and he always kind of does. He's kind of following in the footsteps. And I know J- Justin Thomas likes likes Tiger, but that they're, 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 those guys are not on the same level. I don't I, we can we can talk about that all day, but Rory's Rory's a Rory's a, a level above Justin Thomas when, when it comes to playability and talent and and it, it is what it is. But needless to say, he I think Rory tries to kind of do the things that Tiger did. And it, like, hey, dude, it's a different that was a different era, different ball, different equipment. You don't have to play that way. Play your game. Play your game and do what you do really well. Hit your draw, hit your high draw all the time. Just do it and just win. Like I think Rory could have won by six shots this week. It, nothing against Wyndham Clark. If Rory just said, you know what? You can't hold my jock, dude. I'm going to hit my high draw every time and I'm going to be an average putter, not a bad putter, but just an average putter. And I'm going to ball strike the shit out of you and I'm going to beat you by five shots. But yeah. Here we are. He's got Lo- he's got a lot of one. He's got a lot of pressure on him in the next major because yeah. it's a place he's won at. He's obviously playing well. He's now finished inside the top ten at six of the last seven majors. He's come close. He's at a course he's won at, and if you don't win there, you have a long wait to Augusta, where a place that's even more pressure on you because you're trying to get the Grand Slam there. So. Yeah, it's I I said in my I was talking I was sitting here watching the I had both of my my my, my dad and my father-in-law we watched the golf all last night. We were sitting there it was a fun day. Um but we all kind of we all sat and we were watching this the, the everything unfold and I I said like if Rory can win this if he can r- win this major I, it's almost like the 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 lid is going to be ripped off the top for him in a sense that this will be his fifth major, but it's almost like winning his first, first major again. And like, he's going to have this rejuvenated sense of like, Hey, I can do this. You know, it's him winning those four majors. You know, that was like a lifetime ago. Lifetime. So if he were to win this one, it's like, Hey, wow, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. Like I can, I can win. I can do this. And he's like, it's like getting, it's almost like his first major. And if he were to, I, I really, I wanted him to win. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people did, but like, if he were able to get that done and win, it's like, okay, now, now we, the seal is broken. Like he could win two, three, four more majors, but now still it's, we're back in the same boat. You got to win that first one, dude. And, and it really feels like a first, first major for him. I don't know if he's going to do it. I love Rory. I, I think he's, I, I think he's one of the most talented. I think he's one of the most talented players on the planet. Um, and I don't know. 
I don't know. It's it's a mental thing for him. It's it's just having he needs to play like Wyndham and he needs to play play hockey. You yeah. know, he needs to just say, you know what? I am the best player. You know, I'm you Rory fucking McIlroy. Me. I'm Rory McIlroy. I've I've got four majors. I'm I finish in the top ten every week. Like you guys can't beat me. Like if he goes out with that attitude and just says, you know, what? I'm gonna win by ten. Like if he just accepts that, it's it's not an easy thing to do. I'm I'm acting like it's it's simple. It's not. <laughs> I, I mean, this game's complicated. But if he can somehow get that that mentality, like, I mean that that he. I'm not gonna say he's gonna win 15, 16 majors, but he could easily win double digit majors, which we haven't seen in forty years. Yeah. Yep. It'll be interesting. Uh, what do you guys make of Ricky? Hated to see him falter. Yeah, you know, I was kind of pulling for him this week to get it done. Um, I like the guy. He's had an incredible resurgence to his game. Unfortunately, his stats of leading after 54 holes and, and closing it out are not good. And now, good. That, now that's not good. Of, he's only converted twice. I think he's had somewhere close to 10 um, tournaments that he's led after 54 holes. And some of the the parts that were surprising to me is that there were a couple events that he was leading by three, four shots and wasn't able to get it done. So, you know, it, it sucks. I mean, the guy is so likable. He's such a great guy. He Classy. built Wyndham up after, I mean, one of the classiest guys out there. Um, he built Wyndham up on the 18th green afterwards, you know, saying, hey, you know, that. your mom was here. I mean, that just goes to show what kind of guy he is, the sportsmanship that's involved with him. Um you, you can't help but be a fan of the guy. You really can't because he's one of the guys that every one of us has kids, right? And we all want them to get into golf. And if any of them came up and be like, man, I'm a Ricky Fowler fan. You're like, yeah, yeah, you are. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, a, that's a guy who I want to be a role model for you. Um, he is that guy. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's unfortunate to see him not get it done. He does have that kind of um, he's got that little bird on his shoulder. You know, I think that that comes into play in the fourth round of the expectation of him to go get it done. I don't know what it looks like or exactly what that feeling is, but you just feel like there's something there that is putting additional pressure on him to go out there and, and convert. Well, I, he- I heard this take elsewhere and I think it's great. So he's obviously found his game again this year, and we've talked a lot about it, how well he's playing and all the high finishes. But he hasn't contended in any of those high finishes, right? He's he's had a top fives, but it's kind of backdoor top fives or top tens where he's he's around the leaderboard, but he's not first or second, right? And it's been a long time since he's won. It's been four years, over four years since he's won. So not only is he just refining his game, He's also got to kind of have to relearn what it's like to be in contention because yeah, he's playing well. The stats look good, a lot of high finishes, but he just hasn't hasn't been there um, on the weekend. Never mind, he's still trying to win his first major and end this drought. So yeah, it was awesome to see. I was definitely he was. I love Ricky. I love Rory. I had Wyndham on my team, so I you know I was kind of rooting for all of them to an extent. I was just looking for a. a but it was painful when I saw Ricky and, you know, my, I'm sitting next to my mother and and my wife, they're rooting for Ricky, right? All women love Ricky. He's cute, but he's nice and he's classy. And like, you know, so they're rooting hard for him. And so it was, it was painful to watch. I, I wish, 
I wish he would have hung in there to the end, even if he didn't win. I wish he just would have, you know, kind of just put on a little bit of a better show. And if he got beat, he got beat kind of thing. Yeah, no one wanted to see him go out the way he did. You know, it was no. unfortunate. He just he just didn't have it. Yeah. At the end of the day, he just didn't have it. Um, and I think there is that added pressure because he was without question the fan favorite. Um, they love him out there and they love him universally. So, you know, as as you were saying, you know, Wyndham had to have that talk, like, hey, everyone's gonna be rooting for Ricky. And at the end of the day, it's it's tough to get that get that behind you and especially now you know he keeps adding these these tournaments where he's leading through 54 holes and not contending that's going to start to be an issue that's going to start to be a thing you know he does have a chance of backdooring i think that's his best chance unfortunately but at the end of every week at the beginning of every week if you could tell anyone that would you want to be leading after 54 holes or would you want to be behind everyone takes leading Oh, everyone yeah. takes that additional advantage, and he wants to put himself in that situation as much as anyone does as well. Um, yeah. But it's 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 tough. Now it's going to be talked about. Now he's got an additional hurdle that he's going to have to overcome. Yep. Yep. It was tough to see, but it was also good to see. Right? It was good to see him play that well leading up to the final day. And it's like, okay, maybe he is back. I want to see Ricky on my TV screen more every Absolutely. weekend watching golf. Is he's if he's involved in the game. Great for the sport. Um, we're all we're all better off for Great it. Great for the sport. With so, I think I think Ricky is my new favorite player on tour. Like I can support I'm, that. I'm okay with that. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. I'm sure a lot of people love Ricky, but like like he just he handles himself to the like just perfectly. Like just does it does it the right way every single time. Yeah. Answers answers all always goes to the media and answers questions. And it just gives a real, real assessment. He's there's no agenda. He's not he's not pro PGA Tour, not pro live, not obviously, but but just like hey, I'm I'm just a golfer. Like this is me, you know. Well, uh, you I, see what he did I, I am who I am. What's that? Did you see what he did after the round on Saturday? No, I didn't, I didn't. Went to did all the press conferences and then stayed out into the darkness. Uh, sign an autograph. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, that's awesome. Like the guy gets it. Like, he's like, I've always said like that, that these are the people that you want to root for. Like the, the, these are the guys that the network should be just like pounding away. Like every sponsor should be like, this is the guy. Like he just gets it. Like he just understands why he's here, why he makes the money that he makes because people want to, freaking watch him play golf they want to be around Uh, him they want to be associated with them they want they want to be associated with him exactly like if if you're if if you just and it's and it's it sucks but like if you have a bad day and you just you lose your train of thought for a second and you say the wrong thing at the wrong time you know we've had plenty of guys that we we support that we you know we we love but that, that just have have a bad moment and here's the cancel culture. You're like, okay, oh, this guy's done. He made a mistake, which is unfair. But this guy has not had that. I mean, no. that's hard. That's really hard to play professional golf in the limelight as much as he is, and to struggle like he's struggled for the last four years. For the last, and he's played professional golf for the last ten years. He's been he's been a top tier player, and and not had a moment where you're like, oh, remember when Ricky did this? 
I can't remember any no. single any single instance where Ricky just yeah. totally blew it and lost it. And that's that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's the kind of guy you want to pull for. And you know, for me, for my 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 kids, I'm like, hey, you need to follow this guy. This is a guy that you want to emulate yourself after, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I I had forgotten how much I loved Ricky until this weekend. It's awesome. This guy's right? awesome. He's awesome. Absolutely. All right. So now I think we've reached the portion. There's some other players that we can talk about, but you know, we kind of hit the three, the three kind of headed monsters there. Scotty was around and and you know did Scotty things. But I want I want to talk golf course. There was a lot of discussion on the course, the venue, the setup, everything about it. I'll give you my quick synopsis and then I'll I'll let you guys go. The golf course, I loved. Absolutely loved it. The venue if this makes any sense i did not love okay and part of that goes to the club los angeles country club in in my honest opinion they can go fuck themselves so what i mean by that is that was an f word that was an f word it was an f word for the listeners that was an f bomb there's Definitely a lack of invite coming his way anytime soon. That was a typical <laughs> mass hole, G, what we call GFY. Go fuck yourself. And what I mean by that is I think the golf course was fantastic. On Thursday, everyone went low. All the out, It was like outrage, right? I, almost, I feel bad for the USJ. It's like people make a bunch of birdies and go low, and everyone, all the fans and the media is pissed off. But then they make a golf course really hard. All the players are pissed off. It's like they can't win. What I think happened on Thursday was two things. I think the USGA was scared of how hard this place could be. And they moved a lot of tees up. The course played as short as it was. It was 7,200 yards. It was the shortest of all four days was on Thursday. They moved a lot of tees up. All all these long par threes were up. The pins were really easy, accessible. Some of them were in funnel locations. And they also didn't get the break of the weather. The sun was supposed to come out Thursday afternoon and the wind was supposed to pick up. Neither of that happened. And guys went low. You give guys a a somewhat soft golf course, especially a place that has wide fairways. These guys are really fucking good. They're going to go low. And so they got a little nervous from a pace of play standpoint because that was a lot of the talk leading up to it was, man, pace of play is going to be bad. Pace of play is going to be bad. And there's a lot of birdie holes on this golf course. And so... It got a little too easy for the players on Thursday, but it got hard. I mean, the, the lead on Thursday was eight under, 10 under one. So the, the next three days, nobody went crazy. Yeah, Tommy Fleetwood went went nuts yesterday. There was a couple of good rounds here or there, but this was kind of the golf course that, that that could happen if you got hot. So I thought the golf course played great after Thursday. I did not like that there was no atmosphere. The crowds sucked. Part of that is it's a small, tight piece of property where you can't get galleries around three sides of every tee or three sides of every green just because of how tight things were. I mean, there was a handful of holes where these guys were walking right off the green to the next tee box and it's 20 feet away. So the the fans weren't right up on there. But LA Country Club also then restricted how many tickets the USGA could sell. Hmm. Didn't know that. That's that's crazy. I didn't know that. They restricted the number of tickets, the general admission tickets. When they told the USGA they would host it, they said, we're going to take over 
the corporate hospitality. We want the revenue from the corporate hospitality. And that number of tickets was way higher than the general admission. They said to the USGA, you can take all the revenue from the general admission, but it can only be X amount. The club then told all their members to go and try to buy as many general admission tickets as they could because they wanted it to be basically their private open. They wanted either all the corporations, the billionaire, millionaire owners of these executives of these companies, or their own members and their own guests at this place. I'm sorry, if you're going to host the U.S. Open, the National Open, you better be open to having people out there. This is bigger than you. This is golf. This is the biggest, grandest stage in golf. And you're just a stuffy, uptight, take the stick out of your ass country club. That That's totally. I, I could not agree more. I, and, and, and going back, the one thing I will say is that the course was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah, awesome. It's not, it's not a good venue. It's just nope. not a good venue. Uh, and they they didn't embrace the opportunity that they had and it's unfortunate because at the end of the day they won't be coming back it's the only open in history you've ever heard the players actually mention that aspect of it i've never uh, in in my memory and you guys correct me if i'm wrong i can never ever remember the players talking about the lack of um the lack of a crowd, the lack of an atmosphere, lack of engagement from the fans, engagement at an open venue. And there was a lot of greens where you you looked around, especially on Thursday and Friday, where you looked around the green and there's incredible things happening. And there just wasn't a group there celebrating. Um, I, I just, I just think that, you know, the more I, the one thing I will say, the more I learned about it and I'm not, I'm not trying to bash anything. You know, I try to stay pretty neutral on a lot of stuff especially when it comes to the golf industry. But at the end of the day, this place is you have to wear tailored pants. You have to take a caddy. There are no carts. You, they don't allow celebrities into the golf club. Uh, There's just, Hey, hold on on that, on that, before you keep going, do you think Lionel Richie is a member of the golf club with that (laughs) house that he's got on the, uh, I mean, that thing is, it's a, $50 $50 million house on, well, I don't know. I don't even know what hole it is, but the thing is number crazy. Four. Number four. Do you think he's a member? They, they, they say no celebrities, no actors, no celebrities. I thought I heard like Jason Bateman's a member there. I thought there are a couple, but I did see that same article you're referencing. McLean, yeah. that it said no celebrities, but I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard that there was, there are some celebrities I mean, there. What if you're a property well, owner and you've got a $50 million house, like on the fourth hole, that thing is, that thing is in, incredible. It's insane. Like, oh, sorry, you can't be a member. You're an actor, or you're well. He's not an actor. He's a you know a celebrity, so musician, musician. Yeah, well, I guess. Still, here, I mean, like forty years ago. Here's the one thing I took away from that. We've all been fortunate to play a lot of really good golf in our time. The thing that I remember most about a lot of my favorite facilities is the amount of fun that I had, and. If I'm not able to wear shorts, have some fun, you know, me personally, I like to have a little music going. I like to maybe grab a transfusion before I tee off. Before, Um, during, and after. If we're getting into the nitty gritty, Mike. Um, 
you know, I, I, I like to enjoy myself. Golf is a recreational activity for me these days. And I could just see the situation where if I was fortunate enough to ever get that invite, which after this podcast, I won't, um, <laughs> it's like, it's like you get out there, man, this is a great golf course. My God, would it be better if we were all in shorts and laughing and we had a little bit of music going and we had some, some fun recreational engagement going on with the sport to take this golf course and this experience to the next level. And I don't think they want that. It does seem very stuffy. It does not seem like the type of facility where, you know, we're going to go out us three go out there and just absolutely have a blast. And one of the most fun atmospheres in the world is being on a golf course with your buddies and doing your thing for four hours, you know, having, having a good time bending it a little bit. And it just doesn't seem like that's what they want. And that's where modern golf is going. And that's what I love about where golf is and where it's moving towards. You know, there's a lot of discovery land does an incredible job with their properties. They want you to enjoy every single minute out there. You know, they've got, they've got music playing on the range. They've got the best comfort stations probably in the industry. And that's, that's what I'm looking for. You could give me, I mean, like, for example, and I, maybe it's not the best way to go, but I've played a lot of golf courses that may not be the absolute upper tier that aren't maybe not major championship venues. That's probably the best way to say it. That, that aren't major championship venues that I've had more fun on because of the atmosphere and the enjoyment had by the entire group across the board versus playing some of the major champion, major championship venues that I have played that are incredibly stuffy. I, I don't, I don't push towards that. I really don't because it does not give me that sense of enjoyment that I look at this point as a recreational golfer. Well, so real fast, Jay, and I'll, I'll let you go. I, I like a lot of the same things that you do, McLean, about playing, and it's the experience and the fun and, and the hang of a golf course. And if you don't want to be that, I'm actually okay. If they want to be stuffy and they want to have all those rules for the regular play and their members, I, I'm fine with that. But when you agree to host the U.S. Open, you're inviting the world of golf to your place to show it off for a week. And you need to let fans in and let rowdy people in and, and put all that stuff aside. You're, we're talking one week maybe every once every 10, 12 years, right? I, just, that's it. If, if you don't want that, then be the, the Chicago golf clubs, the San Francisco golf clubs, the Pine Valleys of the world that don't have don't these host, events that say don't we don't want the these Open. events, then don't host the U.S. Open. Exactly. Like that. that's my yeah. whole thing. If you want to have all those rules for your regular 51 weeks a year, fine. But this week you're hosting the National Open. You can't just have it your way. If you don't, then then fine. We won't come back. They well, people- I, they're not going back to LA Country Club. That's not going to be on the. That's not going to be on. It's the, on the docket for twenty thirty nine. It that that was that was that was predetermined before this week. Correct. But yep. uh, I, well, I, I don't I don't foresee that. One first off, before we even go any further, how. Freaking crazy is it that we we are talking about the 2039 U.S. Open and it's 2023. This is that's just just insane. Like, I mean, why are we even talking about that? Like, who knows what that course is going to look like in 15 years? It's, just, it's nuts. It's going to be good. Anyway. They're well funded. They're well funded. I'm sure it's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be great. But 
again, like it's a, like, that's just nuts. Like anything can happen in 15 years. Like I think it's, I think it's a pretty far fetched to, to, you know, state the, the U S open venue five years in advance. You know, I think that's pretty far, you know, yeah. in my opinion, you know, I think that's the right amount, but 15 years, I mean, over 15 years, that's a, that's just stupid. But anyway, I, well, I don't, could- I don't foresee them going back based on the way that they handled this. I don't, I don't see them going back after this next, the next time in 2039. I mean, geez, what we're going to be in 60 years old by then. Well, look at my, for example, my grandkids may be playing in the, in the U S open by then. Look at TPC Scottsdale. Well, your kids have a lot of work to do if that's the case. <laughs> they better get on it. Yeah, you got, um, yeah. Long story short, look at TPC Scottsdale. Not regarded as one of the best courses that they play every year. It's a good track. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to throw any shade at TPC Scottsdale. But it's not Muirfield Village. It's not Augusta. You know, It's not some of these incredible staples that we see. But it's regarded as one of the best events of the year because of the atmosphere. That is hard to replicate, and there's no reason that any venue at this stage of the game should be shying away from that. Because when you can take somewhere that is not architecturally as good or whatever scale you want to try to rate this on, and you can build it into one of the best events to be at, it would be incredibly easy to take an incredible golf course such as LACC and provide that sort of availability to the public to get out there and experience it. The fact that you're going to host a national championship and still try to keep people out of there, it's just mind-boggling. Let, let's yeah. let's let's embrace that. If you're going to be a host yeah, of a national why are you even hosting? To, you, that's no. exactly right. You need to. Embrace why are you even it. hosting if you're if you're not trying to promote your club and and to promote how great of a club it is and the membership and uh, you know the venue like you like you we all mentioned like why are you even hosting the event? Like well, what's your what's your goal? What's you're the not goal? Bettering the game. You're not bettering the game at that point. Yeah. You're you're trying to keep people out. You're trying to, you know, I, I understand exclusivity, but in an event like this, let's understand the the current state of the game. Let's understand why it's become so popular. And one of the biggest things is that's become more accessible to more human beings. Let's not try to negate that aspect of it. Let's get out there and let's go ahead and allow for the fun to be had let's not try oh. to bring that down that's not what the modern game is about that's not putting anyone in the golf industry let's go ahead and I, I, let's have some fun let, let's come up with some really cool venues because that is an incredible venue it and, really no, that's the thing is the golf course is so good i want to see these guys play it again it's it's so Absolutely. good the greatest marketing you know, ploy that any club can have is, is like, Hey, we are going to, we, we have a great club, a great golf course, a great clubhouse. Great, everything's great. We're going to host the U S open or a major championship. We want everyone to come see how fucking great this place is. So now, and make it, make it a, an incredible experience to where, Hey, you know what? I, I, I live in LA. I live outside of LA. I live in San Diego. I live just north of LA. You know, I want to be a member of LA Country Club, but I can't because 
Um, you know, it's uh, one is one's super expensive, but I'm on the fringe. I want to be a member. Like that's just the greatest marketing tool that you could ever have, you know, to be like, Hey, you know what? We're bumping our, you know, initiation has gone from two fifty to three fifty. you know? Great. Everyone wants to be here because this place is awesome. But when you, when you take that stance, like you, you guys mentioned earlier, where people come out there and they're like, ah, you know, this wasn't a great venue. I, I, I was treated like I shouldn't be there. I don't want, I don't want to join a place like that. I don't want to join a club yeah, that, just, that, I, that I was shunned upon. Like I'll just, I mean, there's so many clubs and, and so, and, and SoCal, like I'll I'll just join one of those, you know. Well, why would I waste my time doing that? So, like they they had a they had a supreme opportunity to like separate themselves um, of all the the Southern California you know clubs there, and they just blew it, in my opinion. Yeah, they you're gonna open your it. doors, open your doors. You know, if open not, just doors. keep your doors closed, and we'll never come and see you. Don't worry about it. Well, you want to be exclusive and private? Fine, that's fine. But don't host then don't host the U.S. Open. Don't host oh, US Open. Be Chicago Golf Club and just don't ever have anyone there. That's exactly right. And and who, who knows how good that place is? I don't know. It could be it's good. Supposedly it's spectacular, one of the most best golf courses, most exclusive golf courses, but that's what they the want to keep it. They don't, don't want to have people. So yeah, they the say, but they won't let anybody play it. So no one knows really if it's any good. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, but that's at least they've kind of stuck to their guns. Like, we're not going to host majors, we're not going to host tournaments. Yeah. No, no one's can see it. Right. Not like, yeah. oh, well, we want to host the US Open because we can see it on TV, but we really don't want anyone here. Yeah. When you go play LACC, you have to leave your phone in your car. You're only allowed to make a phone call from a phone booth in the men's locker room. The members are not allowed to post any pictures of the golf course or the facilities on social media. It's like, come on, guys, get look, with it. Get with well, it. That's look, not, think, that's not think the way about this. If I was lucky enough, and I, I heard a good analogy of this, um, Burt Kreischer, who is a comedian that I follow, he got some shit for uh, posting pictures of him on a private plane. He was like, oh, that's not really in touch with reality. And he goes, no, it's exactly in touch with reality. Anyone that gets to fly on a private plane for the first time, they're taking pictures. This is like one of the coolest experiences that they've ever had the opportunity to have. And it's very similar to LACC from the aspect of if I get a chance to be on LACC, I want to take some pictures to remember. I want to post some pictures. I want to create some memories. Um, that's one of the best parts about getting on a good track or being a part of a really unique and cool situation. And especially in today's day and age, you've got to look at the future. You've got to be in front of things. You have to understand the fact that this is what society is about these days. Allow people to get out there and have some fun. If I'm a member of LACC, I'll be the first one. I'll be taking pictures outside the gate because that might be the only place that I'm allowed to take pictures. Be like, hey, yo, I, I got in. I'm <laughs> in. I'm here. Now I get it. And that's that also makes it um, more of a how best way to say not, not a value add, but it makes it more exclusive. So when guys are like, now yeah. they want that more. Now they've seen it. They understand what it's about. Now I know yep. I can get a special cocktail at the the bar. The men's lounge is unreal. Um, there's a lot of things that just it blows my mind that they don't allow because it just takes away from a lot of the fun that the sport has been infused with over the past few years. Have you guys on kind of a different note about LACC? Have you guys heard about their tax situation there? I yeah. did. They only paid they if some they they passed some law like 30 years ago. I don't know if it was a law or something. Some, and they they 
the 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 course the land is worth like eight five to eight billion dollars. I saw eight billion dollars. It's the and second they, most. They only pay twenty two thousand dollars in taxes, real estate taxes. Million. Yeah, they pay twenty two million in land taxes. It's the second. Oh, I heard I heard twenty two thousand. So is it twenty two million? Twenty two million. Um, it saves them. They should be paying eighty eight million. Um, eighty eight million. Okay. Million. And at the end of the day, it's the second most valuable undeveloped land outside of Central Park. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's insane. Nuts. Oh, that's insane. Uh, my, I, my, kid, my wife and my kids were in, in New York City this past weekend, and they were saying the same thing. I'm like, this is just insane, like how many people are here. It's just crazy. New York City is crazy. But anyway. Well, and there's only a fraction left. Think about what it was four years ago. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's crazy. It's crazy. But um, yeah. Wow. So yeah, but as far as an actual golf course, I thought it was awesome. It played well. I thought the rough was was good. I mean, the fairways were were wide, but if it ran into it, it ran in the rough and it was thick and you gave guys room to do some things. You could run it into some bunkers. The rough around the bunkers was insanely crazy. I, I thought it played great. I wish, I wish NBC. I thought their camera angles and the cameras they used kind of stunk. They were too high. I wish they gave us some lower ground level views because the slopes there on those greens are nuts. And obviously, you can yeah. see the balls rolling, but you can't. TV makes it look really flat. And actually, I didn't realize it was the twelfth hole, and it just happened again. I noticed it yesterday. Ricky had a putt, and he played like, I think it was, I don't remember if it was Ricky or, I think it was Ricky, had like 17 feet of break. And they happened to show, a while he was reading it, they happened to show a low angle. And he was in the middle. On one side was, uh, I think it was Wyndham's caddy, and on, down on the low side was, was Wyndham. And the difference in height of the three guys was insane because of how much slope there was. And it's like, oh, wow, damn, that's, that is a ton. Then they showed the tracer and it was like 17 feet of break. I wish they would have showed that stuff a little bit more to just realize how how difficult these green complexes were a little bit. But I I loved the golf course. I thought it played great. It was there was plenty of birdie holes out there. And it kind of like Jay, like you and I talked, not to say like we we knew exactly what we were talking about or we called it, but there was a lot of birdies oh, and there was a lot of bogeys, right? But you know, it wasn't your typical all right, someone's just going to go out and make 14 pars this round. Like there was all kinds of volatility. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there with, yes, we did talk about that last week, but I think the model for the PGA tour should be this, this setup. I think every PGA tour event should be set up closer to this. I'm okay with the water fairways, firm, fast fairways. Again, we talk about ball rollback, like, hey, how can we how can we counteract the ball and how fast it's coming off the face? Hey, let's firm the fairways, but let's give wider fairways and let's also give some thicker rough and let's give firm fair firm firm greens. If you miss the fairway, you're gonna be in the rough and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna pitch out. Put the premium back on hitting the fairway. And this is not like U.S. Open, typical U.S. Open, 20 to 22 and a half, 23, 24 yard wide fairways, 43 and a half yard wide fairways. This, this, that was the average this week. Uh, and, and the winner was, was, you know, it 
wasn't like we were 20 under par, you know, let's go back to putting premium on hitting the fairway, find a way to hit the fairway. If you hit the fairway, they're wide, but if you hit the fairway, you've got a chance to score. If you miss the fairway, you're going to make a bogey. What's wrong with that? Like what's, what's wrong with that? Why do we have to, why do we have to shorten uh, the, the, the ball? Why do we have to lower the speed of the ball? There's plenty of ways to keep the scores in check. Keep the fairways wide. I don't care if you make it 7,000 yards and you, and you give them relatively wide fairways, make the, make the rough, make the rough penal and, and, and let's see what they do. All right. So I, I don't want to get into a rollback debate because that's going to go down a huge rabbit hole argument. And this podcast is already, already getting long and I want to touch on it soon. Um, in the next month or so as, as the USGA is getting ready to make but this. But you agree? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> you should. You should. But you should agree. You should it's okay. agree. It's, it's also okay if I don't. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're also pretty, we're pretty talking bad. about a course that had 300-yard par threes and guys were hitting irons into them. So. They also had an 80-yard par three. Yeah. yeah which was underwhelming. Good. Underwhelming, in all honesty. That was, like, talked up. I don't know. That, that hole didn't do the, much The sixth for me. hole was the coolest hole. The sixth hole was awesome. That I, I can watch that all day long. That was the coolest hole. Not super long, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Super wide fairway, mm-hmm. but guys were making bogeys and doubles and birdies. And I don't yeah. think I don't. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was some eagles, but I, I, I yeah, didn't there see. were a couple. I didn't, I didn't watch any. But Fleetwood eagled it yesterday. I, there's there there is something to be said for there's there's definitely a change in course setup where we don't have to change the ball to make it entertaining and, and, and challenge the guys a hundred percent. These fairies were almost double what a normal U S open was. I mean, the average U S open in the last 10 years, they said was like 23, 24 yards wide. And this is 43 and a half. That's what the, the average fairway link uh, width was for this tournament. And we, we had a winner that was what, what I got shit. I, was he 10 under par? 11 under par, 10, 10 under par. I mean, that's, I mean, that's still a great, great tournament. I mean, for a everyday PJ tour oh, event, yeah. for, for a guy to shoot 10 under par, that's, that's a challenge. And, um, I, I think it really, it really rewards the best player. I mean, I don't, I, I, there was a quote from one of the players. I don't know who it was. And I, I apologize for not having that in front of me, but he basically said, this golf course is so hard. The guys that you see that are 8, 9, 10 under par are playing incredible golf. If you miss the fairway, you're making a bogey or a double. If you're driving the ball in play and you're hitting your irons well, hitting your irons, irons well yes, you're going to play good golf, but that's not easy to hit your, to hit your every iron in play when the fir- fairways are firm and fast. Having firm firm fast fairways um and thick rough is is a that's a that's a challenge in itself and you know to have i mean that doesn't guarantee just because the the fairways are firm and fast and you think you can hit the ball 340 great but are you hitting the ball in play are you keeping in the fairway if you hit it 340 in the rough and and you have to pitch out sideways you you have no control over your ball, so no. And I I love the setup. I I don't necessarily agree with the take how it relates to the rollback debate, but a firm, fast golf course is the setup I prefer. The old fashioned USGA twenty yard wide fairways with thick rough 
that bores me to tears. Thick, rough, right around all the greens. Sure. All the golf courses kind of look the same. Like this kind of golf course just looks has a little more character. It, it plays different. That's the style that I I prefer. And, um, now I think the USGA like, needs look, to very very at- up there. You know, I I don't want to see just Oakmont and Wingfoot every year. Like I just no, don't. No, no. God, I would if I have to watch Oakmont again, I will. I will. Won't You're going to see it a bunch. I mean, it, it'll be there. I know. And I mean, they love Oakmont, and then they just chop down every tree, and it's just it's the most boring place on the planet. You know, I, that's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to say it, but it, that that just that doesn't appeal to me at all. This place was actually fun to watch. It was great. Uh, in my opinion, big yard, big wide fairways, a lot of options. You know, number six was a the, the way that they the way that I will say that, you know with all the things that they that the the telecast did poorly. Number six was really cool, giving yes. you the option before they teed off. They're like, hey, you can lay up left. This is the yardage. Lay up right. This is the yardage. Attack the pin. This is the yardage. That was. Awesome. Yep. And then you could watch the watch the ball flight. And you're like, oh, he's going at the pin. Oh, he's laying up right. Oh, he's laying up left. That was really cool. I mean, the options of seeing what these guys wanted to do and the strategy, like how many more holes can we get like that? These are big. That, that fairway was huge. That, that fairway was 60 yards, 70 yards wide. I mean, that was fun. That was like, what is he? What? What's the strategy? You know, that was that was cool to me. Um, and I think up. having these big, big, wide, big, wide fairways, firm, firm, wide fairways. But then if you miss the fairway, you're screwed. That was cool. But, you know, the typical U.S. Open with 20, 22, 23, 24 yard wide fairways. I'm like, OK, he's trying to hit as straight as he can. He's in rough. OK, he's going to pitch out sideways. That's no fun. In my opinion, yeah, that, so that hole, if they had five of those holes, that would have been cool. I mean, then then you have some really, really big swings up and down, up and down. So there's something to be said for that. If they can latch onto that, that, that will be awesome. And I think if the PJ Tour can latch onto that for more events throughout the year, that will be more fun. I don't want to see, I don't want to see my- that. Hit it, my, hit it, you know, hit 330-yard drives, and they're like, oh, whatever. I don't have to hit the fairway. I can just hit it in the rough, just get on the right side of the uh, correct side of the fairway. Bends back left, I'm hit it to the right. Bends back right, I'm hit it to the left. That's boring. That's boring. One, one of my biggest complaints, I would say, with LACC, the golf course, is the back nine was too hard relative to the front nine. Front nine was super easy. Where I wish the birdie holes were spread out a little bit more because it, yeah, no, it, it felt like once they got to like the 11th hole, it was pretty like, much hang just on. like, hang, hang on. on. And it, I mean, other than, other than 15, that was a short little wedge. Someone can make a birdie. I was looking for a little bit more volatility of a birdie bogey coming in. It was more just like who can make the least amount of bogeys coming in. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, 16, 16, 17, 18 are were obviously ranked the hardest three holes the, the I, I, what were they're the longest three holes that didn't include a par five in the history of the U.S. Open? Yeah, it was fifteen hundred yards plus. I mean, th- two of the three, two of the three holes were over five hundred yards. One was just under five hundred yards. No, I think they even got to five hundred I mean, on Sunday. I think it was five hundred five on did Sunday. Did they push it? Push it? But but from the standard the back, link, the back flag, know, to, yeah. To, to to start the week, 
two of the three were over 500 and then there was one that was just under under 500 yeah. but but yeah it's like oh you know that's so i don't know is that fun to watch and like guys hit driver and four iron in no i wish it was, i wish there was a birdie hole one of the you know put a birdie yeah. hole at 17 can you make a birdie but, but make a birdie like guys gotta make a charge i agree i agree they're coming down the stretch and like okay there's no birdie holes here. Let's just make pars. And Let's also, the, the fairway on. on the fairway on eighteen was too wide. Yeah, fairway on eighteen was too wide. I want a hard hole to finish the U.S. Open, and it was. I mean, look at Wyndham Clark's big swipey ass fade he hit on eighteen, still in the fairway. fairway. Like it was almost oh. like yeah, it's a hard hole, but like, oh, you saw it in the air. You're thinking it was in the bleachers, and then yeah, it, yeah. Like, it looked like. Like it was. It looked like it was in the bleachers. When you watch the, the shot tracer, you're like, oh God, he just blasted that. Well, yeah, so that, that part I, I think didn't every like one too. of us looked at it in the air. You're like, oh no. Oh no. And then it's like, uh, oh yeah. It's in the fairway. <laughs> 18 yards from the right rough. Yeah, I wish they would have narrowed that one up just a little bit to make that a little bit more interesting. Cause it's like, okay, then the guys in the fairway, they're gonna have a pretty good chance of hitting the green, you know? Like, yeah. So but yeah, I, I thought it was an awesome U.S. Open for the most part. Yeah, there's some some nits to pick, as they say, but it was enjoyable, dramatic. Maybe not the winner that most people were looking for. He was on my team, so I didn't pick him to win you directly. Had an but insane I insane team this week, especially early in the week. You had Wyndham, Xander, and Ricky. And at one point, I remember looking at him like, "Well, this is over." <laughs> I did. I, I had some pretty good picks, other than my Jordan Spieth pick to to win the whole thing, um, and he missed the cut. He <laughs> uh, his putting his putting drove me fucking nuts. Anyways, but yeah, the whole week was just was just good and enjoyable. Primetime golf was awesome. Although a couple of nights I couldn't stay up the whole time. Eleven o'clock's late, man. That's late, late, late. But um, all right, let's. This has been a long pod. Let's get into uh, this week. We got a designated event, full field designated event. A couple of guys are sitting out, taking their their one uh, designated event off. But we're at the Travelers in Connecticut, and I'll my yearly reminder: Connecticut technically is part of New England, but it's not New England. It's an extension of New York. Us in New England, we do not like New York. Therefore, we do not like Connecticut. You're not part of New England. So Connecticut. Connecticut ticket. That's because it's nice. It's not dirty. That's why you guys hate it. <laughs> uh, you know what? You Mikey, clearly haven't I, been to New England much. I I do oh, no, have I a have. question though. Oh no, I have. How did how did your how did your lineup fare in your other DraftKings? Uh, uh, I made I made so I, I joined the big twenty five dollar one yeah. for you know million to the winner. Um, I won like ninety dollars. You had a really incredible lineup. I mean, I was after like the first day. I was like, he's got three guys tied for first place. Like if he put this, which I'm sure you did, which you yeah. which you did, put it in one of the bigger lineups. I'm, I would I would assume that you had played. Uh, or finished finished high. So you fin- you made ninety bucks. Yeah, I made ninety dollars. I was in the top three thousand. Damn, that's awesome. That's great. Um, it's so hard to like get up top in those things. It's ridiculous. It is. 
Um, but yeah, I had speaking good- of speaking of, if you if you want to uh, do a, uh, a parlay on Fanduel top finish top finish and and Fanduel. So this past week, I did a five leg parlay. Um, I picked um, Rom to finish top ten, which he tied for. Um, I also picked uh, Patrick Cantlay and uh, uh, Xander Shoffley, top 30. And then I picked Brooks Kepka top 20, and Scotty Scheffler, top 20. Everyone hit their number, except for John Rom, tied for top 20. So I put 25 bucks in. I'm just going to lay this all out there because I'm pretty frustrated with it. So here you go. $25 to win. Uh, two sixty, uh, two sixty nine, and because John Rom tied for tenth with three other players, they they call this a dead heat, which means he tied for 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 tenth place, which means that takes away from the odds. And instead of paying for a twenty five dollar bet, instead of paying me two uh two sixty eight, they pay me sixty seven dollars. What? That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Absolute bullshit. That's a top ten finish. Um, so it's a top ten finish. So even if even if you said, hey, because he it, it was a top ten, it was a tie for top ten, and there's three other players, four guys. Let's just eliminate. Let's just eliminate John Rom from this parlay. Take him out. In that that wouldn't be the case because you should just lower the bet, lower the odds. Let's just take John Rom's bet out. He did top ten, but because there's three other players that 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 tied with him, let's just take that bet out. He was plus one fifteen at top ten. Take that out. I still should have been paid uh, on the twenty five dollar bet one twenty seven. They pay me sixty seven dollars. Wow, that's a joke. It's a joke. It's, it's an absolute loop, joke. Loop, so if you're a listener joke. and you and you and you play and you you like to play FanDuel and you like to do the top the top twenty, top thirty, top forty bets, make cut bets, whatever you do, stop playing. Stop playing FanDuel. You should stop playing. It's absolute. I'm no joke. It's an absolute joke. I, I was on the I was on a chat with FanDuel for an hour and a half today. And and the logic behind it made absolutely no sense. They're stealing money from you if you place bets with FanDuel and golf. If you do it, you're you're losing money because they're going to steal money from you. The worst case scenario, I should have made 125 bucks. I'm just saying. I agree. It was it was an absolute. Like I said, if if I were to make four singular bets on all four of these other guys. To finish in their position, I would have made more money than I made by doing a parlay with John Rom, tying for top ten, which was still within the within the mark. Um, I basically lost money on on the deal. So, I I I will go to bat and say Fanduel is an absolute. They're absolute crooks. I will never place another bet with Fanduel. Enon podcast does not. So we're we're Fandle. never getting an we're never getting invite to Los Angeles Country Club and we're never getting a sponsorship from FamDuel is kind of what yes, we established. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Exactly Guys, right. for everyone keeping track, we were able to nail down both of those in under two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Quick work. Yep. Quick work. Yep. All right. So let's get to our picks on DraftKings. 
on DraftKings, who we do like, who yeah. who does play by the rules and, and doesn't steal money from their from their contestants. I will. Uh, I'll I'll make this quick. Sixty nine hundred. Mark Hubbard is playing well. He's hitting his irons really well. This is a, a, a golf course that anyone can win on. It's only 6,800 yards, par 70. I like Mark Hubbard, $6,900. Then I will go up to another guy who's playing his ass off recently. Played great yesterday. Hopefully can carry it over. $7,300, Austin Eckrote. I think he shot 29, 30 on the front nine yesterday. The, the weeks after majors are always interesting. You don't know, are guys tired? Are they mentally worn out? Or can they ride the momentum train and, and keep it going? Then I'm going to go up to a guy who just plays his ass off at, at this venue, TPC River Highlands, $7,800, Russell Henley. Like a must play this week. Must play. Top 10 guaranteed. Then I'm going to go up to Tom Kim, $8,100. Course fits him perfectly. His game's starting to round into form. Had a great weekend at the U.S. Open. I'm looking for him to continue that. Then I will go up to. Okay, so my my last two picks, I was all over the place. My two high-dollar guys, I, I had all kinds of iterations of, of different guys. $9,500, I settled on Colin Morikawa. Was getting ready to miss the cut on Friday. Played his ass off the last six holes to make the cut. And then finished, what, T15? Something like that, T14? I guess I just deleted his name from my roster accidentally. Uh, this past week. So another golf course that I think will fit his game perfectly. I like Morikawa. Then I go up to another probably must play, much as I don't really like the guy all that much. $10,200. Patrick Cantlay. Ah, I mean, he just, ah. the models just love him. The models love Patrick Cantlay this week. He He's past champion, plays his ass off there. And, had a backdoor, backdoor top 20, top 15 this past weekend. So feeling pretty good about his game. But Patrick Cantley is my last pick there. I'm not sure I have the winner on my team, in all honesty, but I think I have a very solid squad. It's nice. Thank nice. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's very sweet of you. All right, McLean, you came in second. Yeah, I'm struggling with my top pick right now. I've gone between Xander and this guy, but I'm gonna stick with him. This is my this is my initial my initial gut reaction. Gut reaction. I'm gonna stick with him. I almost just changed while we were talking. But and for those of you keeping track, all six of these guys are direct off the power rankings. (laughs) Starting from the top. (laughs) I'm leaving 500 bucks on the table here, but starting from the top, Victor Hoblin, 9,900. Uh, moving down from there, Sahit Thigala, 8,300. Tom Kim, 8,100. Also have Adam Scott, 79. Again, Russell Henley, 78. Must pick. I agree. Mike and I have two of the same picks already. And then I had to go down and get the Bulldog. 7,500 bucks, the best value play of the week, Mr. Brian Harmon. Oh, okay. All three are in the top fifth. All six are in the top fifteen of the uh, power rankings. <laughs> be clear. All right. Well, this is going to be pretty boring because we all have a lot of the same picks. So, 
Um, yeah. The only one caveat to this is I've got at the bottom of the list, I've got 1600 bucks. Kevin Strillman, he freaking down. He sixty eight hundred bucks. He dominates the travelers. Like he's going to finish in the top ten. I'm just, I mean, it is what it is. The guy's forty forty two years old. He loves he loves Connecticut, and he's gonna he's gonna finish in the top ten. Um, so you guys should have picked him at sixteen hundred bucks. Um, <laughs> but I've got Russell Henley seventy eight hundred bucks. I've got Brian Harmon at seventy five hundred bucks. Uh, I do have Harris English at seventy seven hundred bucks. He's playing some really I good did golf. Have him on my squad. I dropped and it for that price point. It's just I, I honestly I've, I have a couple other players that I that are that are ranked higher, but I think Harris English is going to win this week. Um, so it is what it is. Uh, then I move up to Tommy Fleetwood playing some incredible golf. Ninety three hundred bucks. I mean, the guy's on fire, 63 on Sunday, um, playing good. And then at, at 10900 bucks, this is kind of a weird pick. This seems like a an event that this guy would not get up for. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, but I do feel like Rory McIlroy is going to play. Wow. He's going to play well. I don't know if he's going to win. I, again, I, I think Harris English is going to win, but I think Rory finishes top five. And he's going to accumulate a shit ton of points. So um, there you go. I love That's the Fleetwood pick. I, I was going back and forth. That my last spot I, that took Morikawa was either Finau, Morikawa, or Fleetwood. I couldn't make up my mind about, but I do love the the Fleetwood pick. He's going to play well. And Harris, yeah. Harris won that um, marathon playoff a couple of years ago. So he's a past champ. Yeah, good good squad, Jay. Good squad. I like it. It's it's bad. I took Harris off. I had him on my initial squad. I took him off for Brian Harmon. I mean, I've got I've got Harmon on there as well. But yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of good picks there. It should be. I mean, we we're we're experts, guys. Experts. This is what we do. This is what we do. We we look at this every day. Come on, listeners, jump on. I was Absolutely. terrible last week with my picks, but Mikey was awesome. So I will say this event always seems to have an exciting finish. Yeah. So well, I mean, the only thing been, the only thing we're missing here is Bubba Watson. He always plays well up here too. He always plays well. He can't play here. So I thought we were going to get Brooks Kepka, but he's not going to play either. Not playing. Not in the field. See the Travelers next week. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> so, all right, Jen. So you guys got anything else? No, man. Should be uh should be a fun week again. Awesome. Uh to all of our listeners, we thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the US Open. We hope you will enjoy the Travelers Champ uh Championship. And we hope you will download our all of our episodes. So all of them. All, all of them. them. All of them. Every single one. Download them all again. Listen to them all again. It'll be great. And without anything else, that's it. Cheers. Later. Cheers, boys.